We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed it would be trump and megan rapino holy crap all three of all three of us at the same time mossy trump megan rapino and me that is something that you would want to watch Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This show will be talking MLS week one in the books, messy money, true detective, the Americans abroad, best week ever, question mark, dream guests, referees, soccer media, my hypocrisy, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this Monday, February 26th in the year 2024? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be taping at our regular time. There was a possibility that Keyshawn Johnson was going to need to use this studio right now. And so we would have to tape much earlier than usual. But uh, we got word uh, last night that uh, Keyshawn, whatever he was planning to do, got canceled. And so we're taping. Keyshawn, remind time. me again. Um, uh, Played uh, for whom? Uh, he was a big star at USC. Okay, yeah. And then, Football, right? We're correct. Talking? Yep. Uh, played for the New York Jets, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Got it. Got it. Well, look, he's a he's a he's a big timer, big legend. So uh, you know, we would we're benevolent here at the State of the Union, so we would have taken a little time and you know moved around in order to accommodate him. But like you said, we're at our normal time here. Interesting weekend, my friend. Um, did you watch anything that you want to talk about? Uh, a couple things. Uh, last Wednesday, I mentioned on the pod that I was going to see a documentary uh, called 20 Days in Mariupol about the Ukraine-Russia war. I don't want to dwell on it because I'll start crying on the air. It was one of the most upsetting documentaries I've ever seen in my life. I had nightmares about it. Uh, I think it's probably going to win the Academy Award for Best Documentary, rightly so, but uh, it's a tough watch. Did it change your mind about the situation? Did it uh, push you, slant you in a, in a, in a, in a way uh, after those, I guess, two hours or whatever? It didn't change my mind, but just made me more hyper-focused on this, what's going on. Got it. Oh, by the way, uh, I know people are, are, uh, <laughs> who follow us are yeah, eagerly, eagerly waiting an update on the sty. How is the sty situation? You look great. Yeah, I think it's getting better and better. We're in the last throes of it, uh, so hopefully not much longer. Um, on a lighter note, uh, I did binge Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, which was highly recommended by our boss, Zach Kenworthy, and I enjoyed it. So a good recommendation by Zach. 
I have yet to watch it, but I think it starts and finishes, so I'm good. I'm good Correct. finishing it. It's encapsulated and all that. Uh, I will tell you about a, a couple of things. First, uh, in terms of a new one, and then one that we've talked about but I had not watched yet. So first, um, out there, it's called They Call Him Mostly Harmless. It's over, I think it's on Max is where I watched it. And it's this, it's this very strange and interesting story about well, what it amounts to is amateur online sleuths that are trying to solve the death of this hiker whose body was found on the Appalachian Trail. And while, you know, while finding out the identity of the body is, is part of the story, what it really gets into is all of this kind of infighting that goes on online with people that want to solve it. And, you know, this, this whole thing that has come to be online solving of crimes and getting into it with all the technology and information we have it produces sometimes some really incredible results but it also shows how it can you can go off the tracks when you are trying to figure out some of these things and the little fiefdoms that that happen and uh the ownership that takes place and all that kind of stuff but it was uh, it was interesting all right let's get to uh True Detective, because we have talked about this over the last couple of weeks. You, uh, you have watched it. You have finished it. I finally finished it. Um, I, I thought it was horrible. I, I did not like it. Um, acting and the actors were fine. But, and I know, I, I think you've mentioned in your texts that there, is, there are definitely two camps in terms of the way people are seeing this, right? Correct. All right. I saw this fourth season of True Detective as, like I said, horrible, uh, a, a knockoff, and even this is not even fair uh, to Twin Peaks, a knockoff type of Twin Peaks-ish. The whole mystical part of it, M. Night, Shyamalan, whatever type of thing that they, I guess, were going for, completely, completely took me out of whatever the story was. It wasn't even really that much of a crime type of scenario. And it just, yeah, just, I, I just didn't, I didn't get what they were going for. And in the true crime, I mean, it's true detective, true crime type of genre out there. I just thought it completely missed the mark. As I mentioned, many people agree with you, including the creator of true detective, Nick Pizzolatto, who did the first three seasons. Uh, he wasn't involved in this season and he's been very critical of it on social media, which sparked this big controversy. The again, the the mystical types of stuff that was going on, and the the otherworldly type of things that were that were going on, that's that's not what I think of when I think of true crime or when I think of this type of series. Now, I, I know in the past, in different episodes and different uh, different seasons, you know, they have gone a little bit that way, but this went completely off the map for me. So. Jodie Foster was great. All the, the acting, like I said, was really, really good. But they deserved more. I did like the setting so much so really? that I'm thinking of taking a trip to Alaska later this year. I was fascinated by the whole mood, the vibe. I loved placing it at a time of year where it's always dark. I found that very disorienting. You had no clue what time of day it was. Every scene had that creepy night feel. Th that I liked. Well, I did go back and watch uh, Insomnia with Al, Al Pacino and Robin Williams that is focused around that. And that that even that's more true crimeish. Well, not true crimeish, but crimeish when you're talking about it, and it takes place in those and and how it can play tricks on your mind, uh, whether it's whether it's always dark or whether it's always light. Either way, it can play tricks on your mind. One last thing before yeah. we wrap up this opening segment, I also watched Curb Your Enthusiasm last night, and one of the main plot points was 
Larry David having very specific taste in eggs. He brings his own eggs to the country club where he eats breakfast. And we found out this morning, Aaron Schechter as well has some interesting takes on eggs. She evidently likes her eggs really, really dry. Almost, you know when you see those pictures of the ice slabs falling off where you just kind of cut through and it's a big old slab that com- comes off. I, I like them more wet when it comes to, and we're talking about uh, scrambled eggs for the most part right now. And there are, again, many, many different camps. She is of the camp that she wants it dry. She can't stand it when it's runny, I guess it would be. Uh, I, I, like I said, I need a little bit of... Uh, Fluid's not the best word, but slop, if you will, in terms of uh, in terms of my eggs. Whether I'm putting them on some toast or an English muffin or something like that, and and it and it works better like that, or whether I'm just eating them plain, I, I like a little bit, not too much, not too much, but a little bit, and certainly more than uh, than Aaron. So we find out all sorts of things. All right, should we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. Where should we start? We begin with the opening weekend of the MLS season, and more specifically, last night at Dignity Health Sports Park, the LA Galaxy and Inter Miami played to a 1-1 draw. The Galaxy, the much better team, they took the lead in the second half through Jovalich, and then Messi equalized in stoppage time. The Galaxy were down to 10 at that point because Mark Delgado was controversially sent off. The replacement refs had a no-hitter with two outs in the ninth. They made it through the whole weekend without any major controversies, but then in the 88th minute of the final game, uh, they gave their critics some fodder. Yeah, before we get to the uh, to, to the second yellow here, uh, so a couple of just big picture types of things. Number one, if you are a Galaxy fan, uh, I think you have to be buoyed by this uh, performance. This is, and again, early days, but 90 minutes into the 24 season, this Galaxy team looks better. Now, is it back to the elite status uh, that we have enjoyed in the past? No, but it at least looks better. Uh, I think Greg Vanny, <laughs> look, we know he's been given a very, very long leash. Uh, so this was, I think, ultimately a good performance by the Galaxy. And you you know, you know, look at expected goals and all that kind of stuff. This was a Galaxy three-point win. From an Inter-Miami standpoint, this is a second game in a row now that they have been poor. And yet they have found themselves in a situation where they won the first game and now they got a, a point here. So four points in their first two games. If you can play poorly, which they did, and still find ways to get results, that's a good thing. I don't think it's necessarily sustainable when it, when it comes to this team. Um, Luis Suarez is going to be a problem in terms of what he is and more importantly, what he isn't. Uh, Busquets, we've talked about. And do you think that Busquets, look, everybody slows down. Are we just seeing Busquets in a situation that we don't associate with him with and therefore these, I, I hate to say problems, so just deficiencies and weaknesses that every player has. Certainly he's a world-class player, but he certainly has weaknesses. They are highlighted given the team he's playing for and the league in which he's playing for right now. You know, he was still playing at a high level at Barcelona. I still think he has plenty left in the tank. I love him as a player, so... I'm surprised that that performance and this narrative now that he's a problem, uh, that that would be shocking. Not as much as Luis Suarez. Uh, On on Suarez, you know, it's interesting because in Brazil, there's still a lot of ignorant disrespect towards MLS. And a lot of players in recent years have moved back and forth between MLS and the Brazilian league. And people in Brazil, they cherry pick examples that support their narrative like Atuesta and they ignore the ones that don't like Soteldo. And Suarez is interesting because if he struggles in MLS... 
after he was the best player in the Brazilian league last season. I, I do wonder what that's going to do to the ego of uh, hating MLS hating Brazilians. Well, you're our Brazilian expert. How is it possible that Luis Suarez <laughs> starred in Brazil last that last season? What we see right now. I mean, no matter what you, you there's attrition and, and but come on, man. Well, Taylor Twelman came on this pod recently. He said he doesn't think much of the defending in the Brazilian league. He might have a point. Maybe. Well, we're going to talk about some people that have starred in Brazil and have parlayed that into something even bigger and better uh, later on in the show. A couple more things. Uh, Joseph uh, Pinksel, I think he's the real deal. And uh, I think that he's going to be fun to watch, uh, want to, fun to watch going forward. And look, Messi's money. Messi is money. And it's it, it, when the entire stadium on the field and off the field is watching this guy, he still performs and scores the big goal at the, uh, at the end of the game. And it's, it's just amazing to see. There was an energy and a renewed energy down there in Dignity Health. Uh, and obviously, it's tied to Messi. And if you're watching the show, you, you, you see him right there. And he never gives up. He never comes off the field. He is rarely injured. And like I said, he just produces. And the mark of a star and one of the greatest stars ever is when everybody is expecting you to do star-like things, you do it. Celebrities all throughout the building, Ed Norton up there with David Beckham and uh, Kim Kardashian's kid walking on the field with, uh, with Messi. And it was, it was a fun atmosphere. It's an atmosphere, I think, to be, uh, to be celebrated. And they got what they wanted in that I think if you're a Galaxy fan, you leave there saying, we were a better team than Inter-Miami. And I think there's a lot of teams that are going to leave the field thinking that this year. But also, if you're just a soccer fan and you just were there for the phenomenon that is Messi, you left seeing him, arguably the greatest player ever to play the game, reciprocate and give you that gift of one of those incredible, uh, incredible moments. So that was, uh, you know, that was a fun game. And that rightfully will be the highlight of the weekend. But there's so much more that goes on. And we'll talk a little bit more about what you should and shouldn't focus on when it comes to uh, MLS. But we got a lot of other action. Well, to your point, um, the original rundown that Sean Sullivan sent yesterday had Columbus Atlanta and as the first game, and then when Messi scored, he flipped it, and we started with LA Galaxy Inter Miami. I know later on in the show, your one foot road is going to be discussing Don Garber's comments about how it's lazy to only focus on Messi. Well, before we leave this, and and since you did bring up uh, Don Garber, um, you know the the titans of industry and our industry in soccer out there, we know that they listen to everything that we say, including Don Garber, which was evidenced uh, in his post-game scrum, if you will, with the, uh, with the press. Producer Sean, do we have that we can uh, throw up? With, uh, with the PSRA, uh, I think I heard Alexi say that it seemed like it was a good weekend. You know, I'm not sure everybody loves the calls that officials make day in and day out. I thought we had, so far, a good weekend. All right, so uh, Don Garber obviously res, uh, referencing you know, my take on the weekend. And my take has not changed. I thought that, and, and for those that maybe haven't been paying attention, uh, MLS right now is using replacement referees. I didn't think they missed a beat. I didn't think that the referees were a story. However, if you listen in the background right now, you will hear uh, the dulcet sounds of Gabriele Ciampi. Do you know who this person is, Mossy? I do not. He is the referee for last night's Inter-Miami uh, and Galaxy game. 
He is also a composer. And I thought, you know, sensitive ponytail guy here, you know, he had some calls that people disagreed with, uh, and that's kind of par for the course. But I think in general, uh, like I said, and as Don Garber referenced, the level of officiating was at a perfectly acceptable level. I give them an A, a solid A all across the board. The referees were not the story. You do not want the referees being a story. Although, and I want to get your take on this, Mossy, there was a moment that I guess was pivotal in terms of a red card happening late in the game. The Galaxy up 1-0, and a red card or a second yellow card comes. And this, I think, is a talking point. But I don't think it is, again, if you disagree with a call, it doesn't mean that it was the wrong call, Mossy. I disagreed with the call. But to your point, the regular referees make mistakes, too. I do think it's unfair any time the replacement refs make any kind of mistake to point to that and say, you see, you see, the situation is untenable. Uh, To your point, overall, they had a pretty good weekend. I mean, yeah. And and again, a a second yellow card. And going back to your point, it's, it's a subjective type of thing. But ultimately the Galaxy wasn't able to hold on to that three points. All right, let's move on from the, uh, from the Galaxy game because we don't want to give them too much love because I know how, much, how many people get scream and yell about that. All right, what's next, Masi? So now to the match that would have led this podcast had uh, Messi not scored for Inter-Miami. Uh, the defending champion Columbus crew claimed they won a home win over Atlanta. Cucho Hernandez with the goal, picking up where he left off last season. He scored three times against Atlanta in that round one series. And then, of course, was the MLS Cup MVP. The crew begin defense of their crown on the right foot. Yeah, a very different climate. 70 degrees in Los Angeles and freezing cold over there in Columbus. But man, oh man, it didn't matter to the Columbus faithful. They were on fire. Wonderful, wonderful environment, screaming and yelling and celebrating not just MLS Cup champions, but the continuation of this elite team. Columbus was wonderful from start to finish in the way that they played under uh, and the way they continue to play under Wilfred Nancy. And I think they're just getting better and better and better. Now, even though Atlanta United lost, I don't think that this is a harbinger. I don't think that this is necessarily problematic. Um, They lost to a better team right now with what Columbus is. But I also think Atlanta continues to be a work in progress. It was interesting that Gonzalo Pineda decided to start Brad Guzan in goal uh, and actually rewarded him by saving a penalty. But ultimately, the better team won uh, with with Columbus and they they keep rewarding their faithful when it comes to those fans there. And it was fun to see. LAFC with a 2-1 home win over Seattle. Timothy Tillman and Bogus, who started up front, got the goals for LAFC. Then Pedro de la Vega, who had come on as a sub, converted a penalty after Jordan Morris was taken down by Aaron Long. A nice win for LAFC. It was. Um, However, again, in the same way that I talked about Atlanta, this is not necessarily problematic for Seattle. Missing a bunch of of players for, uh, uh, for for the Sounders. But LAFC, again, and LAFC, talk about a, a work in progress right now. They still have money to burn, spaces to burn, DPs to burn. <laughs> we still don't know what's going on with Carlos, Carlos Vela right now, but whatever. They don't miss a beat. They get a result, and they get a result against what a lot of people were picking as the cream of the crop when it comes to Seattle. And again, I still think that Seattle is going to be fine, uh, fine through this year. 
But for Steve Cherundolo and company right now, that's the way that you want to kick off a season. And to be fair, that's kind of how they kick off most seasons. LAFC hit the crossbar a bunch of times in this game. It was incredible, but they did find a back in net twice and picked up the three points. Uh, Portland, very good debut under Phil Neville, a 4-1 demolition of Colorado. Brazilian Anthony with two goals. Uh, Williamson also on the score sheet. He started uh, farther up the field as a number 10 in place of Evander. Uh, and then uh, Sam Vine's own goal. It was a disastrous night for the new look Rapids. Zach Steffen struggling as well. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at big losers from the weekend, it has to be Chris Armas in Colorado. Such high hopes. And again, just, just one game. It's very, very small sample size. But this was not a good look. They didn't they didn't look like they were ready for the game. And all of those new additions that we're talking about in terms of Stefan and Bynes and uh, Jerry Mikhailovich and, and these types of players that they brought in or brought back in, they're on the field. And it just looked disjointed from start to finish. And Portland said, all right, you're going to give us these gifts, whether it's an own goal here or just wide open type of play. I mean, Portland's going to take that and say thank you very much, uh, Mr. Neville, off to the races there when it comes to uh, the Timbers. And they still have DP slots to use. So, yeah. Exactly. uh, Suddenly, the outlook pretty good for the Timbers. Um, FC Dallas, 2-1 win over San Jose. Dante Sealy with a stoppage time winner. And and this is a theme where teams are not at full strength. And I guess when are you at full strength? It's rare that it happens in the same way that (laughs) players talk about being 100%. You know, last time any any of us were 100%, we were 10 years old. Uh, when it comes to teams, you're always going to be missing something here. And Dallas, you know, Ferreira uh, not playing and, and, you know, missing players out there. And yet they still found a way to ultimately uh, get the winner with Sealy and get that win against San Jose. I'm still, I think the jury's still out when it comes to what FC Dallas is going to be relative to some of the elites over there in the, uh, in the Western Conference. But in my expert opinion, Mossy, winning is better than losing. So these were the games that Sean Sullivan picked out. What else caught your attention this weekend? I'll say, so a couple of things. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, the referees, and that's just in general what was going on. And, and throughout the, uh, the weekend, again, the story wasn't the referees, which is a good thing. Uh, Christian Benteke for DC United, three, uh, you know, a hat trick and just dominating in the air. And I, I just love the way that they understand you know, when you guys talk about basketball, I don't know a whole lot that's going on. But sometimes, you know, when, when you do the alley-oop thing, you just lay it up there for the people to go up and get, right? Or in, when you're talking about football, you know, throwing the ball and just putting it up there so the wide receivers that are really, really good at timing and really, really good at the air can just go up and get it, all right? You don't have to throw it exactly at them, but put it in a space so they can go get them. In the same way that DC United has recognized that you have someone like Christian Benteke. And he just put, put that ball up. And not only will he go and get it, but he will also sky not only above the field players, but at times above goalkeepers. And it's just a wonderful weapon to have. And, you know, for, for DC United that's looking to get back to winning ways, that's the way that you, uh, that you start off. The other thing was, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about new coaches and stuff like that. Dean Smith, congratulations to him. 1-0 over NYCFC. Charlotte, by the way, 60,000 people in that opening game there for what, uh, for what they are doing. And so that's, that's, again, fun to see the way that these soccer fans, and in this case, MLS fans, recognize that this is their team and that this is event, an event and that they are ultimately rewarded with a win. Um, when it comes to, I guess, problems out there, I mentioned Chris Armas in Colorado. 
Josh Wolf has got to be on the hot seat right now. They were the only team to lose at home uh, at, with uh, with Austin. Austin looks terrible so far. <laughs> so far. Um, uh, Rioni, I mentioned Benteke and DC United. Um, Rioni getting a red card and really kind of messing up the uh, the first game of uh, of Caleb Porter's career up there in New England. Yeah, that's uh, that's a you know. That, that is a problem. Did you see um, the goal from New England? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Carlos Heel. 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 What a goal. It, it, and it's so Messi-esque in the way that he took it and the way he kept it close to his body. And it was all about just generating enough power to put it in the far corner. Left foot obviously you know, makes it, highlights it that much more in terms of its Messi-esque type of thing. But that was, that was wonderful. But it was, unfortunately for the New England Revolution, uh, one of their only big moments there. So those are some things that uh, that stood out. Anything uh, from you? Big picture, there are a lot of MLS teams in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. There were 10. Vancouver already got knocked out. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how those teams juggle uh, fighting on multiple fronts early in the season. Who is fighting on multiple fronts? Who did you say? All the MLS teams that are also competing in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Got it. Wasn't following what you were uh, saying, here, but it's just my little brain, buddy. I mean, I, I sometimes you have to slow down for the us mere mortals out there. So, all right, well, we'll see. But you know, fighting on multiple fronts—that is something that all the best teams in the world, and it's not necessarily a poison chalice that you are that you are handed. It's done and given to you because of the success that you have. So you better be ready to figure it out. Uh, next up, the women's gold cup. We're taping this on Monday morning. Tonight, uh, the U.S. women will look to make it three wins out of three. They face Mexico, and a little birdie told me that you will be in attendance at this match. I'm excited to go. We're going to uh, you know, see what's going on with this team. Who are you going with? I think uh, my friend uh, Rob Stone is going to join us, uh, and possibly Stu Holden. We'll see uh, if, he, uh, if he shows up. You know, we want to we check out what this, this new-look team is is about when it comes to this U.S. Women's National League. Although there are some some people that have been around for a while, and that's you know neither here nor there. But hopefully, I'm much more interested in some of the young players and some of the new players to see what they're all about. Uh, Sean Sullivan will also be in attendance. If he texts you wanting to meet up, what excuse are you going to come up with to avoid that? There's no excuse. I'm not meeting up with him. No, yes. no. He's, you know, he's on his own. He's, he's a big boy. He can figure that out. He told me he has an extra ticket for tonight. <sighs> if I was to express an interest... And his wife Amanda as well. Who would he take, me or Amanda? That's a that's a hard one, man. Uh, well, it's not hard for me, but it's maybe hard for Sean. Yes. Okay. You should take Amanda. <laughs> yes. Uh, incidentally, uh, in the U.S.'s second game, they beat Argentina for nil. Teenager Jaden Shaw scored twice. Alex Morgan on target as well, and Lindsey Horan from the penalty spot. We talked about Moultrie scoring twice in the opener against the Dominican Republic. Jaden Shaw here. Corbin Albert, very good in the midfield. So some of this young talent showing out in this tournament so far. They've yet to be tested. And this is, again, glorified training. And this is, again... We've seen this time and time again with this U.S. women's national team that even in a reset that they're going through right now still dominates and is still elite and is still so much better than 99% of the competition that they come up against. And you got to play the teams that are in this type of tournament. So it's sometimes it's hard to glean much information when you are looking at these, uh, these players. But again, my expert opinion Winning's good, scoring goals is good, and the opportunity to see new blood when it comes to this team is not only good, it's essential to them having that ultimate success when they do come up against the 
small handful of teams that actually are elite relative to them. I saw that Brazil beat Colombia 1-0. I thought about sending Melissa Ortiz a taunting email after that one, but I held off. You've, you've matured a little bit. Yep. You know, I don't know if it's your, uh, the sty or whatever, but you've become a whole lot more mature. By the way, Brazil won the Beach Soccer World Cup this past weekend, beating Italy in the final. Uh, do you remember at the coaching convention in Anaheim, some guy came up to me who was a big beach soccer guy, yep. American, but had spent time in Brazil and fell in love with it. Uh, so uh, I was thinking about him uh, this weekend when I saw that. It's, it's interesting that in the States, beach soccer has not gotten bigger. And, you know, we have a national team, there's World Cups and all that kind of stuff. And, and if you ever do take the time, if you're a soccer fan and don't watch beach soccer, to actually go see what happens and the way that it is played and the technique and the strength and the strategy that goes into it, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, it, when you just say beach soccer, I guess we say we put beach in front of anything. <laughs> it makes it seem like, yeah, you're just screwing around and, and, and whatever. But some of the goals that are scored and some of the athleticism that is required in order to be successful in beach soccer is just amazing. Sorry, Brazil are the all-time leaders in beach soccer World Cup titles, also in futsal World Cup titles, and obviously 11 aside. Uh, we have one sport we're good at, so we've just invented different variations of it so we can <laughs> win a lot of different things. There you go, my friend. <laughs> hey, anything to, to win trophies. Trophies, okay. uh, trophies are good. Actually, we'll talk about that in the next segment. Anything else, Moss? That is it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Oh, we'll recap a historic weekend for Americans abroad and more. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Pretty good weekend, Mossy, when it comes to Americans abroad. Should we start there? Yeah, let's begin in Mexico, Monterrey with a 3-0 away win over Juarez. Brandon Vasquez among the scores hit fifth in all competitions. A nice right-footed finish. Um, could, can this be going any better for Brandon Vasquez? Okay, uh, we talked to... Last week, we talked to Greg Berhalter about, you know, the decisions that he has to make. And if you are someone like Brandon Vasquez, you weren't on the World Cup team. There were calls for what you were doing. You, did, you had kind of a down year last year when it comes to Major League Soccer. You make this move, even though this move was forced by the structure of Major League Soccer. And you're not only making the best of it, but you are, you are looking like someone that has to be called in scoring goals on a consistent basis. And I think, you know, reading between the lines in terms of what Greg Berhalter was talking about, I think that he is impressed with what is going on with Brandon. And I think that he brings something different to the national team. Cause a lot, you know, we know, we talk about a lot of these things through the eyes of the national team. It's great for him. It's great for his team. It's great that he has, you know, hit the ground running in terms of his Mexican adventure over there, as has our friend Cade Cowell. Yep, he scored in Chivas's 3-1 home win over Pumas, his third for the club, and Chicharito came on late, his first appearance since rejoining Chivas. I mean, and he's well on his way, Cade Cowell, to becoming kind of a cult type of hero in the way that he looks, and then obviously you score goals. And I know we're, we're associating success with these types of players relative to the goals or the assists and the, and the, and the way that they play because they're attacking types of players and that's what you are paying the money for. And that's what you want them to do and that they are doing it is, uh, is great. So congratulations, Cade Cowell. I hope for both of these players, they, they continue it and it will make it next to impossible for Greg Burhalter come, whether it's 
uh, in March or certainly with all the stuff that's going on in the, in the summer, not to call them up. And when you're scoring goals, I guess you're Mexican enough for Chivas. Exactly. You get more and more Mexican the more goals you score. Yes. All right. We go to Europe. Uh, we'll begin in Serie A. Juventus with a 3-2 home win over Frosinone. Wesson McKinney with two assists, both to Vlahovic. Uh, McKinney started. Timmy Weah came on as a sub. McKinney did suffer a dislocated shoulder. Uh, we're not sure yet how long he'll be out, but that's trouble not only for Juventus, but potentially for the U.S. national team who have the Nations League Final Four coming up. Yeah, it's, it, it's strange because we were talking to uh, producer Sean before we came on air here, and he seems to think that this is going to rule him out for, for March and uh, Nations League, right? Nations League, that's what we're calling it. Uh, but the way that it was described is that this is, <laughs> I guess, just part of what his body has become talking about Weston McKinney and that his shoulder dislocates and we've all seen the either in the movies or in real life where it's put back and it can be a painful process but you're popping it back into joint I don't know ultimately if this is a situation where it's getting to the point where he has to have surgery and they have to figure this out or if just every time it pops out you you pop it back in I would think and I'm certainly not a doctor that it, it's worse and worse the more it pops out and the more times you have to pop it back in. But if in this case, Weston McKinney, it can be popped back in. He can continue to play both for club and country and continue on through. I guess that's good from a selfish perspective for the U.S. team. But if he does need surgery, you know, when does Weston McKinney have time to actually fix this if this is a problem that is fixed through surgery? As a Knicks fan, I'm dealing with this right now with Julius Randle, wondering when he's going to come back. But uh, hypothetically, uh, if McKinney were to miss the Nations League Final Four, Tyler Adams out as well. What does that midfield look like? Are we talking Johnny and Musa with Gio Reyna as the 10? Yeah, I think ultimately that's what it, what it looks like. And there's a lot of people that are very excited to see that. You know, again, when everybody is there, and I know we're pulling reina back and fundamentally changing kind of the way that they play in order to get him on that field and putting him at the top of that that triangle if you uh, if you will but we talked about it earlier in the pod you're never no, rarely are you going to have everybody healthy and available and if the past is any indication greg verhalter is not and so he has had to mix and match at different uh, points and we're just assuming that tyler adams is going to be fine when he comes back in. That's a huge, huge assumption. So this might be, in a strange way, a blessing in disguise for us to see some different looks and some different players that, again, can give the competition that the positions need and that this team needs going forward. Speaking of Yunus Musa, he came on as a sub for AC Milan in their 1-1 draw with Atalanta. Pulisic started. Rafael Leon got the goal for Milan. Yeah, Pulisic started, again, had had a chance really... Uh, to uh, to score some goals, a really nice chance over there on, the, on that right hand side coming down, but it's not a it's not a great result for uh, for AC Milan. But again, you know, Pulisic, I feel like Masi that in the past, at this point, we would have talked about Pulisic's injury. And again, I don't want to jinx it. I'm knocking on wood here, but he has been pretty. Uh, pretty sturdy through this period right now. And I hope that this is the new norm for Christian Pulisic. He's, his body has continued to change and to grow, and it's gotten to a point where he understands what he can and cannot do. And this type of longevity in terms of health right now, if you look back at Christian Pulisic, it's 
it's kind of a rarity. So I'm excited about this version of Christian Pulisic, who's starting consistently. Yes, he has been on the score sheet many, many times. Not always. Usually coming off as a substitute in the, in later in the second half. But a regular starter for, for Milan and a regular contributor, and most importantly in terms of that regularity, is being healthy and not being injured. So here's to more and more of that. I mentioned Rafael Leon scoring. It was a great goal. We have the Euros this summer. I'm really excited to watch him. I think he could be How about one that of the angle stars he scored the from Mike. Yeah. Goodness, he just smashed it in the uh, in the in the far upper ninety there from a really acute angle, as they say. We go to France next. Uh, Folarin Balogun found the back of the net in Monaco's three-two away win over Lens. He did miss a penalty later in the match, but the goal was his first in Liga since November. He kind of needed it. I think he needed it. Individually, I think those of us that are looking at that number nine position and, you know, wondering what that group looks like, and certainly Fobaligan is going to be part of that group, but going through a drought as a goal scorer is not a great look for him, especially if this is the anointed one, is this, if this is the person that potentially could be starting. I mean, remember we talked to Taylor Twelman over the last couple of weeks here, and I asked him who's starting in 2026, and he said Fobaligan. So, and and the goal that he scored was a great individual effort. In a second effort, goes down, gets back up, puts you know, fights off a defender, uh, and then finds a way to put it in again from a uh, an acute uh, acute angle. So that's good news that that Balogun's back on the score sheet for his mentality and I guess the way that we are looking at him. Balogun, one of five U.S. players with a goal contribution on Sunday in Europe's top five leagues, according to Opta Jack. That's the most in a single day since the start of the 2006-7 season. So this is good. This is, I mean, <laughs> all right. Well, Opta says since 2006-7? Yes. Really? Uh, Opta Jack, not to be confused with Opta Joe, Opta Gene, Opta Jose. You know, there's lots of different Optas. Really? Yes. But the soccer one is Jack. No, they're all soccer. Well, they're all they soccer. cover different leagues, different areas. But yeah, uh, okay. Opta Jack is my favorite. He does a very nice job. All right, so OptiJack you'd go hang out with, right? Yes. You'd have a beer with OptiJack. Absolutely. Okay, got it. All right, what uh, else? Next up, we go to the Netherlands PSV with a 7-1 demolition of Zwolle. Uh, Serginho Des assisted the first goal. Ricardo Pepe got the all-important seventh to seal the victory, and it was assisted by Malik Tillman. I care because they're American, but I don't care. Uh, PSV are threatening to pull off an Invincibles. They're still unbeaten 23 rounds into the season. Leverkusen also threatening to do that in the Bundesliga, by the way. So that's, that's not necessarily, that's just not losing. Correct. All right. It's not undefeated in terms of winning every single game. Arsenal famously achieved that in the Premier League in the 2003-4 campaign. But if you go look, there were a lot of draws, a lot of draws. Okay. Arsenal fans get very annoyed if you point that out. Really? Well, then, I, then definitely say it. Yes. Uh, we go to La Liga next. Real Betis with a 3-1 home win over Athletic Bilbao. Johnny Cardoso, another good performance, including a sensational goal, his first for the club. Wonderful. Wonderful goal from Johnny and continues to turn heads. Now, here's somebody that parlayed his time in Brazil into bigger and better things and has not missed a beat. Unlike uh, our friend, Mr. Suarez over there, Johnny <laughs> Cardoso comes over and stars, stars for Betis, stars in La Liga and is turning heads and is changing perception of him relative to the national team, at least for now. I know uh, somebody had to go at me over there for the fact that I did not rate him. Well, I think to be fair, 
what I said is relative to the national team. And I think you would agree with me that he has yet to really translate his form that we're seeing right now with the national team. Hopefully that, uh, that happens going forward when he gets, uh, when, when he gets called in. You know, the other thing is that because he played in Brazil, he was looked at as unique. He was a rarity for an American player to be playing at Brazil. And he benefited. And we all use whatever is at our, at our fingertips, and we all use whatever is out there to our advantage. And I don't begrudge him that, that, that at all. Again, if he had been the exact same player and doing it you know, somewhere in Major League Soccer, the perception of him, and maybe even the opportunities that he had, would be different. And so I think I said that uh, too. But right now, it could not be going any better for Johnny Cardoso. And the way that this next window and the way that this summer is lining up for him, especially when it comes to the opportunities that we were talking about, Mossy, in terms of the injuries there, listen, you take them. And they come along in so many different ways, whether it's injuries to players, whether it's new coaches, uh, whether it's just a, a new direction that a team is, uh, that is taking. Somebody misses the bus. Somebody gets in trouble. Whatever ends up being, you grab it with both hands. And so if I'm Johnny Cardoso right now, I'm saying, all right, there is going to be an opportunity for me to play, to play in a position that I like, and I need to grab it with both hands and say, ah, I'm not letting anybody take this back. And then, then, uh, then you're okay. Because, again, still limited, but he has yet to really show it at the national team level. Uh, we go to the Premier League next. Uh, Crystal Palace with a 3-0 home win over Burnley. Chris Richards among the scorers. Remember Opta Jack we just yes. talked about? Yes. Uh, he also tweeted uh, that Richards was the 12th different U.S. player to score a goal in Europe's top five leagues this season. That's the most in any season this century. I mean, great. That's wonderful. We have yet to see the best of Chris Richards. And he... I. I I mean, this undeniable talent and potentially uh, the starter for this national team going forward. How do you see Chris Richards flushing out when all is said and done as we go through this summer and then obviously into 2026? I like him. I think he's a starter. Well, for everybody likes him. Yeah. But you do think that he comes good. He's a starter. He continues to progress, continues to evolve and becomes one of the starting center backs uh, this summer too? Yes. Okay. Right. Beautiful. I think I, I think I tend to agree with you. Uh, before we depart the Premier League, yeah. uh, another forgettable weekend for Gio Reyna. Played just 10 minutes in Nottingham Forest, 4-2 defeat to Aston Villa. We don't have to get into this today, but I did see on Twitter you already uh, floating MLS out there as a possibility <laughs> for him. <laughs> well, no, I, the question that I asked over there on X is if Gio Reyna, in his current state, were to get up and say, I want to come to MLS... And let's, let's take out the transfer fee just, just for now. What, what would you pay him a year? You know, is he worth a million dollars a year? Is he worth $2 million a year, $3 million, whatever, whatever it ends up being? I mean, the valuation of Gio Reyna, given everything that has happened right now. Because, again, I think we talked about this last, last show. We seem to have bent over backwards to accommodate Gio Reyna. We seem to have bent over backwards to give him every benefit of the doubt. And look, I'll be the first to say, because of his talent, and I guess because of the potential, it, I think we've justified it to ourselves. And it's worth giving him every opportunity. But when it comes to how good he is, if you had to put your money where your mouth is, 
from an MLS perspective, how much would you pay someone like that? You tell us. Call in. Let us know. All right, Mossy. Uh, I think we got one more thing, right? Yes. Uh, Liverpool claimed a 1-0 extra time win over Chelsea in the League Cup final at Wembley. Virgil van Dijk with the winner late in extra time. We've talked about Liverpool trying to give Jurgen Klopp this fairytale send-off. This was a good start. His eighth trophy with the club. He has a shot at three more. The Premier League, the FA Cup, and the Europa League. A remarkable victory when you consider all the players they had out and the fact that they finished this match with a bunch of kids on the field. Uh, this is the Caribou Cup thing? Correct. What's, what's the Caribou Cup again? Remind us. It's the second domestic cup. You have the FA Cup, and then the lesser one of the two is the League Cup. So I guess congratulations to Liverpool and to Jurgen Klopp. And uh, it was actually kind of cool to see. And this is where context is important, right? <laughs> because... Liverpool, I saw our friend Piers Morgan over there kind of looking down and saying, well, you know, why are you celebrating the Caribou Cup? Well, first off, it's a trophy. And this is a perfect example of why leagues and sports create tournaments. Why having that moment is so important to the teams and to whatever entity it is that creates these types of things. That money shot of holding up the trophy, or in this case, walking up the stairs to have that presentation, that's, that's why you play, is to win and to have those moments where you know, we are the champions are playing and, and everybody's screaming and yelling and there's music and there's confetti and obviously there's silverware in this situation. I think the context of Klopp leaving and everything that he has been, I think that there's a sentimentality that not just Liverpool fans see, but I think in general people can recognize, at least I recognize it, even if Piers Morgan uh, doesn't. They do have bigger fish to fry, potentially when it comes to the league, uh, when I'm talking about uh, Liverpool. But I think it was also a dramatic and wonderful representation of what Jurgen Klopp has been in terms of instilling confidence in players that are either young or inexperienced or lesser known and having that payoff. And that's, I guess, where his greatness is. He makes players believe that they are worthy of being in that position, that they are worthy of coming up against a Chelsea in a cup final where Chelsea has spent all of those more millions and still find a way to win. And I think that that is why this is being celebrated. And I think that that is worthy and valid of celebration, even if the Caribou Cup, relative to an elite super club, which Liverpool is, even if they try to make themselves out to be the little engine that could, uh, and just you know punching above their weight, this is still, this is still Liverpool. But I, I'm okay. As cynical and as grouchy as I can be, I did, I did enjoy that, uh, that, not just the result, but also the, the celebration after. I didn't see Piers Morgan's post you're alluding to, but just for some context there, his beloved Arsenal have been mocked for over-celebrating their victories, including a recent win over Liverpool. So I think Piers was probably just wanting to return the favor. Probably. That's, uh, that's it. And, and you know, I, I love Piers. <laughs> on, on Chelsea, I was uh, texting with our colleague Brad Weimer, who's a Chelsea fan and also a big college football guy went to Michigan I attended the Rose Bowl with him recently and we both agreed that Chelsea are like at one of these programs that's throwing crazy NIL money around and getting all these recruits 
but then not winning on the field because they don't develop players, they don't establish any kind of culture. This was an incredible missed opportunity for them to at least slightly change the narrative here. I mean, as I mentioned, they were facing a Liverpool team so shorthanded with a bunch of kids on the field and still they couldn't get the job done. So they're going to finish. It's going to be another trophyless campaign and a mid-table finish in the Premier League. And Virgil van Dijk kind of rolling back the clock. Uh, I mean, you remember when he was, before his injury, he was unplayable in that he was so dominant of a center back at a time where center backs, they're, they're not like they, they used to be. This was wonderful to see him in this moment, even though we talked so much about the youth and the inexperience that was on the field that is part of that story. Ultimately, it came down to the center back, not just once, but twice, even though he got one called right. back, he ultimately scored the winner. And it's very quickly, Chelsea are still in the FA Cup, so they still have a crack at a trophy. I said for sure this was going to be a trophyless season, but we'll see what they do there. But yeah, on Van Dyke, uh, he did have a goal disallowed in regulation, which was interesting. Do you want to take a look at that? I know you always like to discuss VAR decisions. Yeah, so picks in the game are you know, part and parcel. Now, sometimes they are picks that are you just figure out amongst yourselves or you, in the course of a, of a set piece, you run yourself into a pick, whether that person picking knows that he or she is supposed to be picking or you're just using them as a shield. And they are illegal. And especially when, in this case, a player comes back from an offside position Pick somebody who you can argue could have defended and defended better on Van Dyke. So I'm actually okay. But it was it was a situation that cried out for explanation and public explanation. It cried out for the referee to address the crowd. Eventually it got to us as viewers at home. But this is where I think it's important for having the technical capability of doing it. And we've talked about MLS. They are going to do it when this referee situation gets resolved. They are going to have the announcements on the field. And I like it because it does provide that clarity and that understanding of why something like that. Because this is a real nuanced, complex type of situation that the only way that you see it is because of VAR. And even on the broadcast, we've now gotten so used to in this country, there always being a refereeing guy. We use Dr. Joe Macknick. You've also got Christina Unko, Mark Clattenburg, who we've used. And not having that person when situations like this arise is a little bit odd. And again, to the, this, the specific play, you could tell when you finally watched it that this was a designed play, that the pick was designed to get rid of whoever was going to be marking Virgil van Dyke and give him the best opportunity to get his head on the ball. Yeah, I had no issue with this call. We saw with that Leipzig disallowed goal against Real Madrid recently that it's a very low bar. If you're in an offside position and you interfere at all with the play, you're going to get called for it. And in this case, he clearly interfered with the person that would have been marking Virgil van Dijk. So I don't know how you can't you know, <laughs> not call that. So uh, to me, that wasn't even that controversial once we saw the replay and understood the call. Again, it wasn't a foul. So it wasn't like the contact he made had to cross some sort of threshold to be called a foul. It was just interfering at all with the player's ability to continue marking Van Dyke. It was enough. But that one, you have an excuse as to why Van Dyke is able to get to the uh, to the ball. Right. So, but you have no excuse going forward. And ultimately, he did it again. Wonderful little flick to the back post. 
ended up being the winner. Congratulations to Virgil van Dyke, to Jurgen Klopp, and to the Liverpool faithful out there for being able to raise a trophy. The Caribou Cup. Like well our, done. Like our boss, Zach Kenworthy. I saw very classy. You texted him congratulations at the end of the match. Well, it's it was after a bunch of tweets where I or, uh, texts where I made fun of him, but yeah. you know, ultimately, like I said, I was moved. I was moved by the moment. Keith, I can I can even be moved. Keith Costigan was absolutely insufferable on X, but I'll say congratulations to him too. I'll be the bigger man. <laughs> Anything else, Masi? That is it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, uh, it's time for Ask Alexi. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. And keep in mind that our social media handle out there on all the social media platforms is SOTU with Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657 549 what do we got the, this show? We have a couple of voicemails. Let's take a listen to the first one right now. Hey, Alexi and Mossy. This is Jake from Memphis. Um, so I'm reading the Beckham experiment by the late, great Grant Wall, and there's a fascinating uh, story in there about how Alexi gave the MVP of the 2007 season to Chris Klein over Landon Donovan, despite Landon Donovan being the highest goal scorer on the team. And so my question to you, Alexi, is how in 2007 did you give the MVP of the LA Galaxy to Chris Klein, when he was not the goal scorer, which is your criteria for MLS MVP. If you could explain it, that'd be great. Thank you. Love the show, guys. Uh, thank you, Jake from Memphis. That's a, that's a really good question, and I appreciate it, and I can see how you would look at it and think, hypocrite! Um, I think it comes down to, and believe me, I had to go kind of back in my files and in my mind to remember this whole scenario. And, and, and by the way, uh, Jake mentions reading uh, Grant Wall's book, and it, it chronicles the good, bad, and the ugly. And there was plenty of it all in terms of David Beckham's arrival to MLS with the Los Angeles Galaxy, and yours truly was there at the time. And there was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, for those that remember, whether you read the book or not, this was not a good team. So I think what it, what it comes down to, Jake, is my capacity in that moment as the president general manager of the Los Angeles galaxy, I was sitting in a very, very different seat than I sit in now when it comes to media and the way that I talk about um, an MVP of, of a league. And again, I'm not trying to say that it doesn't appear uh, uh, hypocritical. I also think I've changed like everybody else over time. And in that moment, in what was not a good season and what was not a very good team and what, let's be honest, uh, and certainly if you read the book, you get a better idea, at times it was a real show both on and off the field. I think in that moment, I recognized that the calming influence and the impact in a positive way, the leadership both on and off the field that I just mentioned was missing and really necessary and I found in Chris Klein and the maturity in what Chris Klein brought in that tempest. I think that's where I came down on the side of, since I was ultimately able to decide this, where I was going to, uh, or who I was going to pick. Uh, Landon, as is documented in the book, was, was not happy. <laughs> and I don't blame him. But this is also about the dynamic of the team. 
And Landon was going through the whole thing with, with Beckham and everything that was going on. Landon got plenty of love. Landon got plenty of oxygen. And Landon got plenty of attention. And that's not a reason not to give him an award, or in this case, an MVP award. But I think, and I don't, I don't have it written down. I don't remember ultimately what I was thinking. But I think, to your point and to your question, Jake, that's where I was coming from. And in that seat, doing what is best for this situation that I know is not a good situation and ultimately <laughs> I got fired for, I thought that that was appropriate and I thought that that was doing what was best for this team in this moment. Whenever we've had Landon on the pot, I've always noticed some tension between you two. Now I know why. He's still salty. Hey, the- we, we went at it and I'm sure that there were, t- well, I'm not sure. I, know, I, I definitely know that we had uh, moments where we did not see eye to eye and where we vehemently disagreed. And, you know, that, that happens over the course of a relationship, especially one, you know, with that type of power dynamic going on, and especially one that went through such a crazy thing, which was the galaxy at that time and incorporating, I guess, David Beckham into it and all the craziness that comes with that. It's interesting with that book, and I know it's sad to evoke Grant Wall's name now, but um, that book was written as if the Beckham thing was an irredeemable failure. The tone is Hmm. what went wrong because that was the perception at the time. And it's always been amazing to me how Beckham was able to flip that narrative, win a couple of MLS Cups, go out as this great success, and now as the owner of Inter Miami, bringing Lionel Messi, and we'll see how many trophies they win there. And he's going to end up looking like one of the most successful figures in MLS history when there was a point in his Galaxy career where it was considered a disaster, and it's amazing how it turned. Yeah, but I, I think from a book perspective, and you know, the late great Grant Wall, I think he would... He would, say, he would probably say, yeah, there was probably a whole nother book to be done in terms of the arrival and the resuscitation uh, of Bruce Arena when he came in and what that ultimately ended up and how that reflected on Landon and, and David uh, and everybody else there. But, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. And dysfunction is interesting to people. And the look underneath the hood that was the galaxy at that time, I think he saw that that was going to be interesting and all the different characters and all the different things that went on, including this story that Jake uh, brings up. Appreciate it, Jake. I appreciate you reading that book. It's, it's a real interesting peek into a history uh, and a moment in time. And like I said, uh, I played a part, made plenty of mistakes uh, along the way. And who knows, maybe that was a mistake uh, at the time there. But that, I think, was what I was thinking at the time in terms of doing something relative to an individual that could create more goodwill and benefited more people, even if in the moment that one person that was Landon Donovan didn't like it. And by the way, Landon and I I have moved on. We work almost every single year together in different things. uh, And including this summer, we'll be working when it comes to uh, Copa America and uh, and the Euro coverage that we're going to do. And he has moved on. I have moved on. I like to think to uh, bigger and better things. When you tease at the very top of the pod, my hypocrisy, I wasn't sure what you were alluding to, but now I know it was there this voicemail. There you go, it's a little. Uh, we have another voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hey, Alexia Mossy, it's Chase from Dallas. We've had some great guests on the pod lately, the great Stu Holden, of course, and Greg Berhalter. Um, I was wondering if you had to have one dream guest on the podcast, 
Who would it be? Can you give us one soccer-related and one non-soccer-related? My dream guest would be Jose Mourinho whenever he becomes the head coach of the national team in 2024 at the end of Copa America because Greg Berhalter will get fired. Thank you. Interesting. Interesting take there, Chase. Interesting question. Um, okay, so you've given yours. So uh, non-soccer and then a soccer one, right? So look, if I'm going to do a non-soccer, then it's probably, I, I want something that's going to make news and global news. So I'm torn between Trump and Biden. Uh, I think Trump would make, I guess, more news. And he's obviously, <laughs> I think would would be more adept in what we are doing here in terms of having an interview. I'm not sure Biden could uh, could hang with us when it comes to an uh, interview. But it would be one of those two. And if I had to just pick one, I still think Trump is money. And I still think Trump gets much more uh, attention. When it comes to soccer, now this is, this is interesting. I, I would love, and I'm not saying this can't happen, or, and I just haven't, I haven't looked into it or tried it, but I, I would love to interview Megan Rapino. I would love to sit down on a one-on-one with Megan Rapino and go through everything, both on and off the field. I find her fascinating, even though for anybody that's listened to any length of time, you know that I vehemently disagree with many, many things that she has done and said. I will, till, till my dying breath, defend her right and freedom to be able to do so, as I will anybody else out there. But she is someone that has made incredible news. Obviously, she is someone within the game that has interesting and provocative views. So, yeah, I think that that would, that would be something interesting. And again, I, I, I just haven't pursued it, but I'm just answering your question here. I think that that would be, I think that would be interesting. For me, I would like to think for her, I would treat her with respect and be civil to her. But I'd also like to, you know, talk to her about things both on and on the soccer field, things that she's done that she regrets, things that she's done that she's incredibly proud of, how she's thinking about herself in the future and what she is looking to do, things that she disagrees with when it comes to me or anybody else out there, things that have been fair or unfair uh, out there, all those those different things, because she is a lightning rod. I like big, bold, arrogant personalities. So I guess it would be Trump and Megan Rapinoe. Holy crap. All three of all three of us at the same time, Mossy. Trump, Megan Rapino, and me. That is something that you would want to watch. Absolutely. What about you, Mossy? Um, the sports one would be the Brazilian Ronaldo. Uh, his English has improved somewhat. It's still not great, so I'd probably want to interview him in Portuguese, and then I could translate it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he's my hero, my favorite human being. Um, and non-sports one, I don't know. I mean, the, the pop culture answer would be like a Jerry Seinfeld, a Larry David, a Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You know how big a fan I am of that whole Seinfeld curb universe. But you know a name that popped in my head? Uh, um, a guy like Salman Rushdie. Ooh, he's lived yeah. such an interesting life. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to pick his brain on everything he's gone through and just his thoughts on the world. <laughs> so what's it like to have a fatwa? <laughs> <laughs> like, right? really? I've always wondered what his day-to-day life for like 10 years, like, what you know. Insane. Is he always looking over his shoulder? I mean, insane, insane. Um, all right. Well, interesting question there, Chase. I appreciate uh, you calling in. And I also appreciate you hi- highlighting the fact that we've done a really, really good job of bringing in some really interesting guests over the uh, past few weeks. We're going to uh, endeavor to try to do more of that. 
sometimes it's relative to schedule, what we can do and what we can't do out there. But you mentioned Stu and Greg and I mentioned Taylor Twelman and the list goes on and on and on. And we like to have interesting people in here. Some of them, we know their money and they know they're going to bring it every time. Some of it, it's a crapshoot and we hope that they bring it. Some of them, we think they're going to bring it and then they don't necessarily bring it. But you, you want to have, like I said, people that have interesting ideas in the way that they think about life and the way that they think about soccer. And we will try to bring uh, more of them on so you don't just have to listen to our voices. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take one more quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show and I'll give you my one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. The Don Garber, who we talked about, Mossy, earlier in the show, He's had a lot to say, and it's the opening week of the, the season, so you expect him to be out there talking about things. We also mentioned the um, the referee situation, which he is dealing with right now, and how he praised uh, our comments and what we were talking about when it came to the fact that it's gone very, very well. But also, Don Garber was in the news uh, a few days ago talking about Messi and the fascination and what he feels like is a, I guess, a oversaturation when it comes to Messi. And he said, quote, It's easy and somewhat lazy for reporters to just write about Messi. It's like writing about Taylor Swift. There's so much more here that I think people need to recognize. Now, I understand what Commissioner Don Garber is saying. He has a responsibility, and yeah, I think he has a desire to point out the fact that there are incredible stories both on and off the field when it comes to Major League Soccer as it kicks off its 29th season in the year 2024 here. However, in the same way that a few months ago when our U.S. Women's National Team Captain Lindsey Horan took a shot at the fans, th- this is unnecessary especially since if anybody is both responsible and doubling and tripling down on messy coverage, it's Don Garber and MLS, and certainly when it comes to their partner, Apple. And it's exactly what you should do. Last night, Messi scored a goal. That goal ended up tying the game and he scored it right at the death and he played the star. And that moment is viral. It goes around the world. People will watch it simply because it is messy. Producer Sean, anybody worth their weight that works in our industry understands what rates, understand what clicks, understands what gets people to subscribe and understands what brings people into that tent. And Messi is often at the very, very top of that. So when Don Don Garber calls out media and calls out reporters and calls out writers for being lazy because they are talking about not just one of the greatest players ever to play the game who happens to be playing in Major League Soccer, the league in which they were reporting on, but one of the most famous people on earth, it's a little rich. It's a little rich from from Don Garber. And again, I know that he respects the media out there, and he better, because guess what? There's not enough of them out there. And most of these men and women, they work their ass off day in and day out. Many 
to tell the stories that Don Garber is talking about, whether he realizes it or not. And I think he does. But whether he realizes it or not. And to lump everybody in together and to call them lazy. If you are a member of the media out there that works your ass off day in and day out to literally spread the gospel of soccer, and in this case, MLS, and the commissioner is calling you lazy because you're talking about Messi, that's a no-go for me. And again, it's a unforced error and an unnecessary type of hit <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> to talk about the people, the very people that are going to spread that gospel and do it for very little money and very little attention and certainly very little fame out there. I mean, that's just not a good look. And it will come and go. And again, I know he was probably trying to say, look at all these different stories out there. Those stories will get told, but Don Garber's been in the business of sports longer than most people. And he knows what sells. And he knows that stars sell. And he knows in this particular case, you better mine that. And mine that product that is messy. And MLS is doing it day in and day out. Go look at their website. Go look at the video that they put out. Go look at their social media. Go look at everything else. And yes, they're telling the other stories out there. But there's only so much bandwidth that people have. There's only so much time and resources that people have out there. And so I don't blame a single person out there for looking at Messi and saying, you know what? That's what people want to, want to read. That's what people want to see. That's what people will be attracted to. And using it and recognizing the value out there of what Messi's going, uh, Messi is doing. And I, I think Messi, or I think uh, Don Garber in this case would probably take back what he said about, um, about people being lazy to reporters out there. Or who knows? Maybe he's smarter than everybody. And it was designed to get people like me and others to feel offended, to get riled up, and to talk about it here. And that will maybe force some of those other stories out there. Those stories will be, uh, uh, will be, uh, will be played. But right now, it's about Messi. Messi, anything before we go? MLS did a seminar here at Fox a couple weeks ago. You and I attended, as did Sean Sullivan. Yep. And yeah, the way their marketing people are framing it is come for the goat and stay for all the other stories. So they want to use Messi to attract uh, new viewers, but then they hope that they see other things in MLS they like so that even when Messi leaves a couple of years from now, that they'll remain MLS fans. Yeah. I mean, why was the first game and the only game of the 2024 season to kick off? Why did it feature Messi? Why did it feature Inter Miami? Why, Commissioner, were you at the Messi game last night? Now, when we had Taylor Twelman on, the first couple of questions we asked him weren't Messi related. And he even said that's refreshing because the people who do cover MLS, they do feel like he's taking a lot of the oxygen out of the room. It's because it's messy. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you signed him for. So milk it for all it's worth. Because guess what? It's not going to last forever. I hope it lasts at least through 2026. It might not. Messi might say, forget it. See ya. Goodbye. And then you're going to have to pick up and go on. But you can use the messy time to be better off when that time comes where you no longer have messy. And you're a fool if you don't use it. And you're sure as hell not lazy if, if you're talking about messy. And none of these people, I would never, ever, in the same way that I don't think American soccer fans are dumb, I don't think American media is lazy when it comes to soccer. 
All right. What else, Mossy? Anything before we go? That is it. All right. Thank you for, to everybody for reviewing and downloading and subscribing and doing all the different things that you uh, that you do out there. We really appreciate it when it comes to the State of the Union. We'll be back later on this week with another show. Plenty of other soccer. Plenty of other stories. Yes, other stories that don't involve Messi when it comes to what's happening on and off the field. But who knows? There'll probably be some stories that do involve Messi. That doesn't make us lazy. My friends, we will talk to you again later this week. And until then, and as always, size the day.